raised some, uh, some needed funds and canned goods for our food bank. Uh, it's just win-win all the way around. I just want to greet you today and say how glad I am to see you. I'm going to try to remember to, to greet you, not in our customary way of a handshake, but I'm just going to, uh, in, in our current climate and everything, I'm just going to maybe uh, just, I want to give you some alternatives, okay, to the traditional handshake. There's the, the elbow. If you want to get fancy, you can do the 70s, elbow, elbow, thump, thump. <laughs> you can do the Rocky. Let's demonstrate. The Rocky. You know how he touches, touches gloves in the middle of the ring? You can do the Gomer. You can do the namaste. You can do the hippie. Just, we're glad to see each other. I'm glad to, uh, I'm glad to see you today on this Daylight Savings Time Spring Forward. If you thought you were coming to Sunday school today and you really got here in time for worship, I won't tell anybody. We just, we'll just pretend you meant to be here. If you're worshiping at home in your pajamas and listening by live stream, wait, hey, we appreciate you too. And I want to remind you that, that you can always go back and listen to uh, our services. You can give online. There's all kinds of things that our church app provides opportunities. Today we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. The, ne the book of Nehemiah is our foundation for our Renovate series for the season of Lent, for our Renovate Bible study. And so we're going to get a good foundation for this study by looking at Nehemiah chapter 1. You're invited to... Listen along, follow along. In the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Shizleb, in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped the captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to, the, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you have commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy 
in the sight of this man. At the time, I was cupbearer to the king. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was about four years old, I I thought that I could be invisible. And uh, don't laugh, you were four once too, and you had things that you thought of. So I thought all I had to do was take my, my blanket and pull it up over my head. And if I couldn't see you, then you couldn't see me. So I'm invisible, right? Don't tell choir, y'all can still see me. So, and, and so my sister spoiled it for me one day. I, I was on the couch and I had my invisibility cloak pulled up over my head. And my sister came along and she hit me in the top of the head with her Barbie doll. And she said, you know I can see you under there, right? And I said, I know. And then I started chasing her so I could hit her back because, we, you know, we fought like brothers and sisters fight. And uh, so that's the way it was going. And there was another time when I was about four and we were still fighting over this thing. I still was convinced that I could be invisible. And she said, well, if you think you can be invisible, why don't you just crawl in that culvert over there? And then maybe you really will disappear. And so... um, I said, well, maybe I will, and I I did, because she dared me to. Now, she didn't double dare me or double dog dare me. It didn't get that far, because I wanted to crawl in there anyway, because I was curious. You know, I still am. I'm a curious person. So I, I crawled in the culvert, and I disappeared. No one could see me. It was a culvert that goes under your driveway, you see, and I crawled in, and I disappeared. And I got halfway through, and I got stuck. I mean, well and truly stuck. Houston, we have a problem stuck. And so I yelled, hey! And my sister's face came down in front of that end of the culvert, the the one I could see out of. And I said, I'm stuck in here. And my sister said something that was so compassionate and tender. She said, I'm telling Mama. And she ran off. And as she ran off, I said, you are the one that told me to crawl in here in the first place. Oh, my goodness. You do know there's no justice in this world, don't you? It didn't matter that it was unfair. Uh, So at that point, I did the only thing I knew that I could do. I just started crying. Sometimes that's all you can do. You just have to cry. It just seemed like the thing to do. Now, of course, I did get rescued. I'm here today standing before you as a testimony that you do get rescued sometimes. And I I do think that I have a little bit of psychological uh, reaction to that because I do think the reason I'm as big as I am is because I want to make sure that I'm not tempted to crawl in any culverts anymore. I know I don't even begin to fit in there anymore, so I don't ever try. That was supposed to be funny. It didn't turn out that way. I learned some lessons, though, from that experience I want to share with you. And if you like to follow along with outlines, you can go to the church app and follow along, or there's an outline uh, inserted in your newsletter today. The first lesson is this. It's better to know the problem than it is to hide from it. It's better to know it than it is to hide from it. And I tell you that from experience because I am 
a hider from way back. I just shared with you. Uh, it's not just pulling a, a blanket up over my head. It's, it's hiding sometimes in subtle ways from things that I don't want to face. Last year we started, uh, last week we started this renovate series and we started talking about how that we're spiritual houses. We talked about how the Bible uses that as a metaphor all the time that I'm a spiritual house, you're a spiritual house, all God's children are spiritual houses. And if that's so, if we can let our minds go there and use that as a way to look at ourselves, then the kind of house we are is uh, what we would say a fixer-upper. We're not there yet. If there's, have any of y'all ever gone into uh, a, a new, brand new housing development subdivision and and looked, walked through the um, the model home? Have y'all ever walked through the model home or the model condo? If it, you know what I'm saying? It's perfect. Everything is beautifully decorated. There's not a mess anywhere. There's not dirty dishes anywhere. It's it's just perfect. We're not the model home, okay? You and I still got things to work on, don't we? Um, that'd be a great place for an amen. Let's go, you know? We're all in this. We all got some work to do. We're all fixer-uppers. Each of us is a little bit different, but we're all fixer-uppers. And so what we do is we start opening up a little bit. And as we do this walkthrough, as we do this walkthrough with with God's help and maybe with the help of a spiritual friend, we pray this prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. And if we do that, if we really pray that prayer, if we really open ourselves up, then the truth will present itself to us. It will. And sometimes, often in fact, it comes to us when we least expect it. We're just minding our own business, we're just going along, and then it hits us. And that's what Nehemiah did. He was, he was going along. Now, this, these were divided times. These were times of turmoil. Israel in the 6th century had been carried off into captivity by the Babylonians, and they were scattered here and there. Those who had skills, artistic skills, and, and special artisans and workers had been placed in positions in the empire uh, of importance. Nehemiah was placed in a position such as that. He had been chosen to be the cupbearer for the king. That may not sound like much to us, but it was a very important, very trusted, uh, very crucial position. It was kind of like the personal butler of the king. Everywhere the king went, the cupbearer would go. Now, did he literally hold on to the royal goblet of the king? Yes, he literally did. Held the, the cup of the king. And he would taste whatever was given to the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Okay? And if it had been me and I'd held that position, if it was something really good... I might have taken a little sip and said, I better take some more of this just to make sure. And then I would, you know what I mean? There had to be some perks with the job. But that's what he did. And he would, he would have to be trusted by the king. He would have to be comfortable with the king. And so we don't know the whole story about Nehemiah's life. We don't know that everything that was going on. But, you know, it's kind of like you and me. If somebody says, how are you doing? 
you could probably most of the time say, well, you know what, things are not perfect, but uh, life is rocking right along, you know. It's rocking right along until that day that everything changes. And that day for Nehemiah was when his brother Hanani came to see him. And Nehemiah asked a question that you would ask when you're far away from home. How are things back home? How are things in Jerusalem? Just saying the word Jerusalem would have, would have pulled at Nehemiah's heart because it wasn't just a hometown for the children of Israel. It was Nehemiah and all the, the Israelites. For them, Jerusalem was the place where that uh, was the center of Jewish life. It was the place that, that was associated with the very presence of God. It wasn't just the walls around the city. Just, it didn't just define a geographical area. It, it symbolized God's protection of God's own people. And the temple there wasn't just a building. It was the symbol of God's presence, God's dwelling, and God's blessing uh, on his people. And, and knowing that about what Jerusalem meant makes the impact of the news even more profound. So what's going on with Jerusalem, uh, Nehemiah asked. And here's what his brother tells him in verse 3. The people are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. In other words, things are not okay. And maybe Nehemiah was thinking, I'm sorry I asked. Have you ever run into somebody and said, how are you doing? And, and it's like they pulled out a list this long and told you everything about everything. Was, and you were thinking, man, I'm sorry I asked. But it really is better to know the truth. Even though it hurts, because there are things that you have to know before you can grow. Before you can get past and go on to the next step. And before things can get better, you've got to know. That's why we say, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. I know the church that I served had a ministry known as uh, Celebrate Recovery. Have any of y'all ever heard of Celebrate Recovery? It's a, it's a Christ-based 12-step program. It's, uh, it's designed to help people get past their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups, which we all have, by the way, if we're going to be honest. We all have hurts and habits and hang-ups. But step number four is what I want us to think about this morning. Step number four of the 12 steps in Celebrate Recovery goes like this. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. A searching and fearless moral inventory. We didn't pull the cover up over our heads and pretend we were invisible. And the truth can hurt, can it? It did for Nehemiah, and it does for us. And that's another lesson we need to learn. Sometimes we have to fall to pieces before we can be put back together again. It's okay to fall to pieces sometimes. That's what Nehemiah did in verse 4. He sat down and he wept. And for some days, it says, he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. He could have done like I was taught to do from the time I was little. Boy, you better suck it up. <laughs> you know? He could have done it that way, but he let it out instead. He didn't choke back the tears. He didn't stuff down the emotions. He just lamented. 
Do you hear that word? We don't use it much anymore. He lamented. To lament is to, uh, to express your grief and your sorrow. And God's people have a history of lamenting. Did you know that of the 150 psalms that we have in our scriptures, of that 150, 42 of them are psalms of lament? Because life is hard and loss is real. Jesus himself lamented over Jerusalem. You remember when he cried over Jerusalem? So first we see and then we cry. And then renovation begins. You see how that works? First we see and then we cry. And then the renovation can start. Nehemiah's name, the word Nehemiah itself means comforted by God. But before he could ever be comforted by God, he first had to fall to pieces after he faced the truth. Blessed are they that mourn, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, for they will be comforted. The mourning comes first, though, and then the comforting. So, are you lamenting over any pain in your life right now? We probably all are. If we just told the truth, we probably all are. We live uh, fractured and hurting lives in the midst of a fractured and hurting society, in the midst of a fractured and hurting world. Why wouldn't we lament? Why wouldn't there be tears in the corner of our eyes? Sometimes we lament because we feel displaced and we feel alone. I asked a friend of mine one time how he was doing. I really wanted to know. Sometimes it's just a greeting, you know. But I really wanted to know how he was doing. And he must have known that because he said this to me. He said, man, I feel like a tennis shoe in a closet full of boots. And I kind of laughed. Because it was kind of funny. But I knew he was saying, I'm hurting. And I don't really feel like I belong where I am. And I feel like I'm kind of exiled right now. So Nehemiah mourned and he fasted and he cried and he prayed. I don't know how long, as long as it took. Many days, it says in the book of Nehemiah. Here's the next lesson. Renovation moves us from tears to blueprints. Lamenting is part of the process, but we don't stay there. Because there comes a time... Uh, when even through the tears, we have to do what Nancy Reagan told us to do back in the 1980s. Just say no. Y'all remember that? Some of you are old enough to remember Nancy Reagan. Well, just say no might have worked uh, not so well as a, as, a, as a strategy against the war on drugs. Just do, by the way, don't just say no to drugs. But just say no like Nehemiah did. Here's how Nehemiah said no. He said, no, I'm not okay with this. You know, the walls are broken down. The, the people in great trouble and disgrace. The gates have been burned by fire. It's a mess, and I'm not okay with it. Not anymore. I'm not okay with it. Here's another way he said no. He said, no, I'm not going to wait for someone else to do something about it.
So we know what we have to say yes to. We do that all the time. We say, we say yes to, to Jesus. When we're baptized, we say yes in public, before God and everybody. We say yes. We are asked the question, do you want to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And do you promise to serve him? And, and do, you, do you make this public profession of faith? And we say, I do. But you know what? Before we ever say yes to anything, we say no. If you, if you look in the front of that United Methodist hymnal and you look at the, the liturgy when people are baptized, they are asked to say no before they're ever asked to say yes. You're asked, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? In other words, what are you going to say no to? Are you going to say no, you're asked, to evil and injustice and oppression? Are you going to say no to all that before you say yes to Jesus? It's important what you say no to. Nehemiah said no, and then he's going to go on to sketch out what's going to turn out to be a blueprint, a plan, not really a blue blueprint, but a plan, a plan for renovating the thing which had brought tears to his eyes and he's not going to do it all on his own. He's going he's to need God. This is not all the time he's going to spend fasting and praying. He's going to need other people to help him. He even asked the king for help. But he's not going to not do something. Apologies to the English majors out there. Nehemiah is not going to not do something. So first we see... First we see, would you have the courage to pray, search me, O God, know my heart? Would you have the courage to do that, that searching and fearless moral inventory? Phil Schrader, a friend of mine who's a minister in North Georgia Conference, wrote a, a book on leadership with another minister, and it's got a chapter in there that really just sticks out to me. The chapter in this book is entitled Healing Candor. And I saw that and thought, hmm, I don't know if I've ever seen that put together quite like that, healing candor. I kind of like that because, you know, candor can be healing. It can also be hurtful because if it's not, if it's hurtful candor, then you're just being rude. And some people are rude and they use the excuse, oh, I'm just telling the truth. No, you're just being a jerk. Candor can be healing, though. Both ways it hurts, right? But one way produces the fruit of change in your life. When you've got that friend that loves you enough to say, Look, man, I need to tell you the truth because somebody needs to. And then they give you that healing candor. So first we see, and then we cry. So let me ask you another personal question. When was the last time you really lamented? Lamented over your own brokenness, lamented over the grief of the loss, whatever loss that is, lamented over the brokenness around you? When was the last time that you lamented? 
And then from tears, we move on to a blueprint. And we say what Nehemiah said in his heart, I'm not going to not do something. I mean, you sketch it out. You literally get a napkin or a journal, whatever you sketch, write things down on, and you sketch it out. Not for somebody else, but for you. So that's the invitation today. The invitation is for healing candor. The invitation is to search. The invitation is to lament. Is to lament.